believe it or not. Strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. Unbelievable? Believe it. Ripley's Believe It or Not. Incomparable, inimitable, illimitable, inestimable, introducer of immeasurable, incalculable, incredible impossibilities. Welcome to Ripley's Believe It or Not cast, the podcast that brings you deep into the strange, the bizarre, and the unusual. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brent. And so, Ryan, here we are, um, COVID-19 week, what is this, two and a half, two, three? Yeah, sure. So we're both we're both um, in our respective homes once again. Um, and, you know, one of the only things to do is is to take walks and I, I take walks in my neighborhood and and um, I do see lots of families and and people walking around and uh, the shops right up the street from me are relatively busy um, but you do start to get the sense of this pandemic really taking its toll with people being isolated right now in mm-hmm. quarantine right mm-hmm. are, you, are you feeling it I'm feeling it right now. My kids are are um, uh, running around the house, being uh, lunatics, and uh, sometimes the only thing you can do is go outside. And, yeah, you know, go outside and just try. You know, the one thing though, I've been told is to really appreciate, you know, the little things again. And I tell you what, man, like a sunny day where it's warm and you can feel spring coming. I mean, it's just been awesome. It does wonders. To make you feel better, really. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, you know, we we live next to relatively close to the University of Cincinnati. And and throughout this entire ordeal, the one group of people that I've been feeling um, uh, the worst for just really badly for are, are um, frat bros. Um, just just the the camaraderie that they must be missing, the ability to to party and get hammered and pee, <laughs> pee wherever they want right. in the house. Right. Yeah, so. I would like to do all of those things. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling bad for my frat brothers. Um, if I was ever in a frat, which I, I wasn't, were you ever in a frat? Were you a frat guy? I, I, I was not, I don't think anybody would take offense to that, but I, I was not, uh, uh, you know, I was friends with some people who were in some of those groups, but, uh, uh, you know, I was just busy working, you know, when I was in college and that really, uh, I didn't have time nor the, the, uh, the money for that kind of thing. But I always kind of been fascinated with these kinds of groups more from a kind of a sociological perspective. You know, I, I wondered why all these college kids want to be involved and then how do they get involved? And then, you know, what are they doing there? Uh, what really draws them to like the skull and bones at Yale or, you know, some of these other secret groups that we've read about before? Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's that's taking it to an entirely different level. And that's actually that's a great segue to what we are getting into today on the Notcast as we infiltrate a secret society with the help of magazine writer Marguerite Happy. Um, and that is her name, Marguerite Happy. And she has an intriguing story about secret societies that they are actually dying a slow death because they're having trouble recruiting members. So let's meet Marguerite, who's been writing for Artful Living magazine for seven years. 
while she's been attending graduate school. Uh, right now, she's working on a PhD in literature from UCLA. Uh, she wanted to write a piece about secret societies for a long while, but she needed an angle. And after months of reporting, she was able to interview several members of various societies. And she learned that infiltrating these groups was easier than she expected. But things got strange the night that the leader of a Masonic offshoot group got naked. As you know, the best way I think to learn about something is to be there and do it, usually pretty easy, but when it's something secret, it's much harder. So it took me a really long time of, of asking, you know, so much is word of mouth, of asking around, of trying to find any group that I could that maybe was a secret society, but, but was doing, I guess, kind of what the Masons do and what we'll talk about later, which is they need young people to join. So they make some level of the society kind of open for the people who know where to find it. So I found, uh, I came across in my research, the Ordo Templi Orientis, um, which is a, a rather old secret society that has sort of recently come back into news headlines in terms of being attractive to millennials um, because there was a famous British socialite named Peaches Geldof who actually died of a drug overdose. But before she had done that, she had made it quite clear that she was affiliated with, with the society and was advancing in the stages of their rituals and had gotten tattooed about them and so on and so forth. So I knew that they were popular with young people and there had to be a way I could get in. So I emailed them. And this is the other thing that just I find hilarious is how many secret societies, in fact, are easy to find if you know what you're looking for. You know, like the Illuminati, quote unquote, website or um, groups that that need to be visible because they need members. So it's it's increasingly difficult for them to be secret. Anyway, long story short, I find myself driving out to a random strip mall in Glendale. This is another thing where everyone I knew, I think, thought I was going to be killed. And, yes. you know, I was like, I got to go alone. So this was pretty dicey. I drove out a pretty long way, ended up at the address of this society that was having a Gnostic mass that day. No clue what that was. Um, went through this random tiny door of a random strip mall in Glendale. It did not look like much, um, but I decided, you know what? You just have to go for it. And it was unbelievable. I mean, I don't know how much detail you want about the experience, um, but it was probably the most interesting part of writing this story, actually, because I learned a lot about how secret societies uh, appeal to millennials today and and how they work. So possibly against her better judgment, Marguerite tracks down a contact that leads her to a strip mall in Glendale, California. She had not told her parents where she was going. She says that looking back, it probably wasn't the greatest idea, but the prize was a deep look inside a real secret society, one originally started for magicians by Aleister Crowley and rumored to have been practiced by contemporary celebrities like Jay-Z and Beyonce. So the Ordo Templi Orientis is, a, it's in the sort of hierarchy of secret societies. It's very loosely affiliated with the Illuminati. 
and appeals to people who consider themselves magicians. So its founder, Aleister Crowley, was um, an English magician who was known for his use of quote unquote, dark magic, um, sex rituals. So that's sort of what this society is known for is being a little off the cuff. It's difficult to tell. Um, Peaches Geldof was one of the most famous ones. There's, there's a lot more speculation than I think actual fact. Um, but Jay-Z and Beyonce are both have both been identified as using Crowley's lyrics in their music, okay. um, seeming seeming to be affiliated with his teachings. I think they have some tattoos with OTO sayings oh. or models. Um, but those ones are those are obviously difficult to confirm. This was a Sunday afternoon, so okay. I drove out. It took me about an hour to get there. No idea what to expect. I knew there would be a mass of some sort, an intro period, and then a reception after. I had email, so I found the address online and then I emailed them to inquire, hi, I'm a prospective member of- Oh, I see. I want to know, I'm really interested in joining. What's the best way to learn about who you are and, and what you, do um which <laughs> i was probably you know it wasn't a lie like i was genuinely right. really interested in knowing who they are and what they did so um other than that though i did not know what to expect got it so you show up you get to the strip mall there and and there is a door at the, a small door at the address yes that's unmarked um in between a laundromat and a bunch of other sort of out of business businesses that were closed oh that's good um, detail okay down a long hall so you walk in down a long hallway and then down the stairs so obviously you can't see what's going on inside so then to the right there's a library and some other rooms that are like common areas there's a patio outside for members to mingle and then to the left is the ceremony room so that's where they have the paraphernalia of the secret society um sort of egyptian themed <laughs> vaguely artwork um and that is where you meet before the ceremony and then there's curtains across where the ceremony actually takes place so you can't oh, okay. see what that room looks like until everybody files in in a single file line at the same so you get there and you walk in and you see and then there are people Mm-hmm. Walking or walking around in robes and masks as well, or no masks, just robes. Not at that point, just the robes okay. at that point. And I found someone and told them I was new. And there was one other new girl who I chatted. She was probably thirty-five. And when I asked her why she wanted to come, you know, I was trying to learn as much as I could about everyone there. And she said, well, you know, I'm really, I really believe in magic and I can't find anyone else who believes that magic exists. And so I thought that this could be a good place to come. Mm. What about you? And I was like, oh, yeah, um, 
looking to looking to learn. Marguerite continued to mingle. She noted that most of the people seemed younger in their 30s and had various professional jobs. Unlike the first woman she met, most seemed to genuinely just want to get to know people without resorting to visiting bars or the internet. Still, something seemed a bit off. Only later did she realize that most of the people she encountered were men. The priest takes you aside, um, gives you a pamphlet. This is when, by the way, I was like, holy cow. I am in pretty deep here. Um, gives you a pamphlet with the motions that you're supposed to perform during the ceremony, which are specific sort of foot positions, hand positions, um, chants or mantras that you'll say along with everybody else. And then after that, I just sort of mingled and chatted with other people who are part of the society. And this... I found out was sort of their intro version. So this wasn't going to be, you know, the second order, third order, fourth order ceremonies were much more private. I would have not been able to walk into those without undergoing gotcha. the proper certifications. You leave your bags and phones outside so you don't have access to them during the ceremony. And your shoes. And your shoes. Yeah. So this isn't a thing where, you know, if the ceremony starts and you don't like it, you can head out. You're pretty, you're pretty locked in. What I was most interested in was that there were a lot more young people there than I, oh. I had anticipated. So I thought that was really interesting. And everybody seemed very serious, very committed um, and whatever. And I sort of didn't know what was coming. So I didn't. I didn't know that there was anything to be nervous about. <laughs> yeah, so you all file in, um, and it's sort of a, a large, you know, part of the rite that they do um, is this elaborate ritual that is performed in costume that as they're performing it, you're all sitting around the perimeter of the room facing each other. So you can see all of the members and they can all see you. So there's a performance that you're watching, but you also are almost part of the performance, if that makes sense. And things are sort of plodding along just fine. You know, I'm butchering all of the chants I'm supposed to be doing and the foot positions, and I just have no idea. So I'm just stumbling along, sort of hoping for the best. And it all seemed, I at this point, I didn't know that OTO was associated with sex magic. So it seemed like the, the performance seemed vaguely erotic. There was a goddess who was, um, you know, paying homage to one of the priests. And she sort of bent down before him and her mom's kind of... That's kind of weird. But then halfway through, and this is the moment I wrote about in the article that I, you know, my little Midwestern sensibilities were shocked by because I didn't know it was going to happen, was when the main priestess went behind a set of curtains, okay, and then when they opened, she's just butt naked on the altar. And we're right. all just snattering. She's staring at us. And it's part of the ceremony that she strips down as part of the origin story of um, the magic of the, you know, the goddess that we as participants in the ritual are taking part in. Um, 
And so then you're all meant to take quote unquote communion. So I'm just watching people stand up, recite this sort of elaborate chant and go up and kneel in front of the naked woman and, and drink their wine. And I'm just pant. This is the point where I was like, holy moly, I cannot. I don't know how to do this. I don't know right. the chant. I don't know what to do. I can't leave because I'm on the opposite side of the room and my shoes are gone and you can't get up and and just walk out. So I sort of pant. The girl next to me is crying. No one knows why. And so I just sort of absolutely panicked and awkwardly, you know, when it finally came around to me, just like awkwardly elbowed the guy next to me and said, no, no worries, you go next. And everybody sort of knew, you know, <laughs> I was freaking out and he just went and then luckily the ceremony was over. We all filed out and they poured everyone champagne um, and then they sort of talked about the accomplishments of each of the members, many of which who were fairly illustrious. There were professors at the University of Nevada who were members. Um, they sort of went in order, and then it was just time to mingle and chat with other members of the society. Marguerite stayed for a bit longer, gathering information from other initiates chemists, scientists, and engineers, among others, what she realized was that, like in so many situations, people were just looking for a community to connect with in a tangible way. While the ritualized sexual activities may have set some of these groups apart, they also made her wonder, why were people interested in secret societies in the first place? After months of reporting, her story was coming into focus. Secret societies were losing their luster because they were becoming exceedingly transparent in order to recruit. Exactly. And for the very reason that I could find the secret society online, that they had an email address, you know, that they were findable. And to a certain extent, they had to be where um, no one was going to find them and they needed people to join, which is what I ended up finding with them, um, with the Masons, who are also all on social media and, you know, increasingly transparent, um, and with other secret societies who, even if they aren't online themselves, are able to be found um, through people, through investigative reporting, through pieces that other reporters have done to sort of find out right. more about them, and they're all kind of gradually becoming open secrets. It's a hard environment to stay alive in as a secret society. I think the idea of belonging to something and being part of something is a, an essential human need. And secret societies give us the ability to feel as if we've been chosen and we're special and we're different than other people. We're worthy of being in on the secret. Um, which is really what the conclusion of the article ended up being because historically that's how they've evolved. Um, the Masons, and I go into some of this history in my article, really evolved as a political unit um, designed to have influence and power. And if the Masons endorsed you for a political position, you were practically a shoe in right? You were chosen. You had some quality that the other guy didn't have. And I think still today in college, you know, secret societies are probably thriving there more than anywhere else, although still dying. But when you go to college and you're alone and you don't know anybody and you want to feel sure. wrong, that's such an easy and automatic way to do it, you know? 
and the secret makes it more exciting. Um, I talked to people who had been in Yale Skull and Bone Society, a couple other Yale societies, um, a couple editors and people who knew men in the Bohemian Club, which is outside of right. San Francisco. Um, right. and, and in any interview I found, the answer really was that uh, a, it was too dangerous to be in a secret society. If you're in one like the Bohemian Club, that's for powerful decision makers, especially in this age of Me Too. It's no longer a great look to be caught going to a secret society, whether or not what you're doing there is on the up and up. The idea that you're hiding your activities, if you're a person in a powerful position, is is frowned upon more now than I think it's ever been. Um, we don't like to feel that politicians have secrets. And now when there's Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and social media, um, those secrets can be found out really, really fast. And I think it's dangerous, frankly, for a lot of people who maybe would want to do whatever rituals under the cover of night. Um, I think it's it's dangerous for their reputations in a way that social media and technology makes possible. That that we've never really had before in human history. So an offshoot of the theory is that it's becoming too dangerous to be a part of secret societies. Dangerous for the reputation, that is. People used to join these groups to improve their social standings and ensure their upward mobility. Now they're avoiding them for the same reasons. Of course, it's natural that societal groups of any kind will rise and fall, including new groups that consist mainly of women or younger members. But for now, Marguerite says those groups are hard to find. Um, I only could find, I found some co-ed ones and I talked to some women at Yale who are in secret societies, but I didn't, couldn't find any exclusively female only societies. Um, from what I could find is that they're more rare and they don't tend to have the same types of image problems than the male-only secret societies. Um, they generally began in a way that was more collegial and recreational and less secretive. But apparently, I think that would be the next frontier of these is ones that actually aren't in-person secret societies, but that are somehow mm -hmm. digital groups or apps or collectives that give people the same experience, um, but in a 21st century way. I think it's clear that that secret societies um, are hurting right now. I mean, how do you think that they're just doing Zoom meetings like? Uh, right, exactly. Right. This is not anything I ever would have thought about. And Marguerite talks about, you know, some of them there. So the equivalent to Skull and Bones in in uh, in England is almost completely like not even an association anymore. It's isn't that crazy? Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I don't know enough. Even even after reporting this episode, right. maybe I just don't really know enough about what really goes on mm -hmm. um, in some of these groups because I'm trying to imagine what the digital version of um, some of the practices and, and rituals um, that we're talking about would be. And right. I, I just, I just can't picture it. Like, um, um, what was the group that you were talking about before where it's, it's just really wealthy people and politicians and. Oh and yeah. Um, um, Marguerite references to the Bohemian 
Society, uh, which yeah. is in, uh, I think it's in, it's in California. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think you pointed out like one of the big things that, that happens with those groups is, and I feel like a broken record, but like they feel free to just pee wherever they want. Right. right? Like it's a power thing, right? You just like, right. You walk around and, and you, you pee wherever you damn well want to pee. And so <laughs> what do you do now? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't I, know. I guess some of these guys are in Congress and maybe they just still do that. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I assume, by the way, that if there is some kind of digital format, which is kind of what she alludes to as well, that it's going to be, you know, some hacker society, you know, that if there's always if there's, you know, weird sex stuff involved, then there's always going to be weird webcam sex stuff going on. Uh, like I can see that, but when you get to what you're talking about, there definitely is not really a sense of freedom or a sense of camaraderie in a tangible way uh, in what we're talking about. You know, when 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 you're talking about going digital, those things are gone. So that's really yeah. Interesting so to me. how do you maintain a sense of uh, like the power dynamics that exist in in any group like this, like a Skull and Bones, yeah. um, like any secret society that we're talking about? Like um, the power dynamic is really important, and and those dynamics are held in check in really interpersonal ways. How that translates into a digital world is beyond me. Um, if you are in a secret society and want to reach out to us, we're at Ripley's. We're at Ripley's on uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can find us. You can hit us up there, uh, or uh, you know, one of the other uh, uh, ways you can find us at Ripley's.com. Uh, I will say this though: I think your point you're making a really interesting point in the world that we're living in right now, because we're all doing things right now. We're teaching digitally, you know, we're doing all this stuff now and we're discovering how this is going to work. Uh, I think we're probably not far away from this. You know, it's probably already happening, right? Secret societies in a digital sense. Really, really fascinating to me. Okay. We'd like to thank Marguerite Happy for sharing her story with us today. And because we only scratched the surface of her reporting, we encourage you to go and read her full story. Uh, it is titled, Has Modern Society Killed America's Secret Societies? And you can find it at artfulliving.com. Just search secret societies and you will find it. So did you know, Ryan, that there was once a secret society based around pugs? Um, yeah. Did you know that? So on our website, Ripley's.com, you can find a story about a German secret society called Mop Orden or Order of the Pug. Believe it or not. Originally created in the 18th century, a common practice of the group was to kiss a pug's butt as a sign of devotion and novices were initiated wearing a dog collar uh, while having to scratch at the door to get in. Um, that's what I'm talking about. Like, you're going to miss that, secret societies. Uh, what happened What happened to the society and its followers? Find out at Ripley's.com. So we've learned a lot in this episode about secret societies, but we bet you didn't know that the happiest place on Earth, Disneyland, has its very own secretive club, Club 33, 
for very important people, which includes celebrities, leaders, and those who just happen to have a whole lot of money. In the heart of the New Orleans sector of Disney's Adventureland sits an unremarkable gray-green door partially hidden by a potted plant. Nothing special distinguishes it from other nearby entrances except a small sign featuring the number 33 and a brass speaker box with a buzzer. This is Club 33, an exclusive organization whose members pay a reported $50,000 initiation fee and annual membership fees of $15,000. But money doesn't do all the talking when it comes to this members-only experience. With membership capped at a few hundred individuals, it can take years to gain acceptance to these hallowed ranks. Built in 1967, rumors have swirled around Club 33 for decades. Some claim the name alludes to Walt Disney's rumored status as a 33-degree Mason. In fact, speculation about the club's nefarious Masonic and Illuminati rituals remain primetime YouTube viewing. But here's the facts. Do you want to be a member of Club 33? All you have to do is get on their website and, number one, write an application letter to their member services group. Number two, wait for a phone call from a representative to invite you for membership. That's right. You have to wait for a phone call and they will invite you. Number three, make a $25,000 to $50,000 payment for the initiation fee to reserve your membership. Number four, pay $12,000 to $15,000 each year for your dues. And number five, follow all Club 33 rules regarding membership uh that sounds a little weird what do you get for all of that do you get like unlimited rides or something no you get alcoholic beverages coupled with fine dining live music and sophisticated decor vips like johnny depp kim and kanye west and tom hanks and wife rita wilson have been seen there enjoying an exclusive retreat located in the center of the park where they can kick back unbeknownst to the other guests it actually seems kind of overrated to me. I mean, the beauty of Ripley's here is that we don't care how much money you make, how dope your latest track is, or how many people saw your latest movie. If you've got a great story, we're going to tell it. It's just how we are. Believe us or not. Believe it or not. Ripley's Believe It or Not cast is produced by myself, Ryan Clark, and Sabrina Seek. Our executive producer is Amanda Joyner. I edit the show. The Notcast is recorded at the at my house. It's recorded at my house. It's typically recorded at the historic Herzog Studio, home of the nonprofit Cincinnati USA Heritage Foundation. The Notcast intro theme was put together by Colton Cruz, and our ending theme song is by the band Wussy. If you enjoy this episode, please review us on Apple Podcasts. If you have comments, questions, or ideas, email us at notcast at ripleys.com or tweet at ripleys. Next week on the Notcast, we follow in the footsteps of some of the greatest archaeologists in history as we hunt for one of the most famous, mysterious, and possibly powerful biblical relics of all time. So remember, don't look, Marion. Keep your eyes shut. We're bringing you the Ark of the Covenant next week on Ripley's Believe It or Not cast. Originally created in the 18th century, a common practice of the group was to kiss a pug's butt as a dis... <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, That's so good. Because I will show you
Believe it or not. <laughs>